it was hard to see you like that too. I won't lie. It was just tough times. I realized that it happened. And I started to relax. You Let said down you did guard. say that right. Like you said, uh, you had the thought that you thought the head of the snake was gone, and then as soon as you started to relax, boom, physical right. things started coming and manifesting. Yeah. I I've heard over the years that the body keeps score, right? It does. And again, I'm going along in my life thinking, dodge that bullet. Nothing's wrong with me. I'm fine. I'm healthy. I'm this. I'm that. No, there's no problem. Until I let my guard down. It's when when you're in the middle of stress is not when you're sick or when you're down and out. Yeah. It's when the stress stops. Thank you for watching this show. We are growing. And if you have gotten anything out of this, if you find it valuable, maybe even you're enjoying it a little bit, would you please hit the subscribe button? It helps us immeasurably. It allows us to go deeper and darker and find more guests and more people that allow us to have these hard conversations, which are clearly challenging us. However, we do understand that it's good for us and the feedback we're getting allows us to know that it's important for us to keep going. So again, please, if you would support this show, please hit the subscribe button. We'll see you soon. On to the show. Welcome to Bear It All, the Kintsugi Chronicles, here on the I Am Not Okay channel, where we gather our broken pieces in search of gold. My name is John Bear. This is MJ Bear. Holly Bear is with us in spirit. She'll be back ASAP. Today's topic, it is no surprise if you have watched any of these videos that we are in pain. I can speak for myself. I can tell you, I can see how literally I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. I see the energy whirring through my body. It's almost as if I don't know where to allow it to go. It's like a dog with the wiggles. I can't shake it out. I'm reactive. And I can see what that does to my mom. I saw what it did to my sister. We've had private conversations about it. And we're doing our best to make sure that these conversations mean something to us and mean something to you. And we're not just sitting here banging our heads on the wall. So mom, you said that you wanted to really take a step back today and kind of put the gloves down and, and uh, <laughs> really understand and get to the bottom of what you see on tape. So why don't you take it from there? Tell me what you're seeing, tell me what you're feeling. Let's roll. Oh, John, I can't tell you everything that I'm seeing or feeling every time I watch these videos. I'm learning more and more about not just how we talk to each other, the entire atmosphere when we're having these conversations. Do you feel it too, that, that, that it's almost like an electrical charge? Yes. You feel, okay. <laughs> you said it yourself. This is second only to losing um, Tony 
and Jimmy in terms of, damn it, I don't know if I'm going to survive this. Yeah, this is definitely some of the hardest stuff I've ever done. It is. Um, I want to say this again. I think I said it in the beginning. Maybe I didn't. John, I'm, I'm here. I'm committed to resolving these issues with my children. I'm not looking to be right or to preach or to strong arm anyone into my way of thinking. From my perspective, what I'm hoping to do is help you and others understand that I don't think it's the issues. I really don't believe it's the issues that separate generations. It's how the generation itself interprets the information. Okay. And I'm finding that more and more with you and I, which is weird, but I don't have it as much with Holly. Or do I? Um, could you clarify what you mean? Um, like you feel like Holly understands what you're saying? But so, somewhat more. Not all the time, but yeah. yes. I think there's more of a, um, a different current hmm. between us. ACDC? Or yeah, let's go, <laughs> let's go with the electricity because that's where we started with this. But sure. that's right. I, I think our current isn't opposing where you mm. and I, our currents meet. And it's like, you're pushing, I'm pushing. Yeah, it's not a, a positive and a neutral. Right. Yeah. And, and that's what we're learning here. We didn't even know this about ourselves until we've had the opportunity to watch these videos back. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you a question. Do you agree with that? Do I agree that we have a current that doesn't match? Yes. Correct. I do. It's do like two do positives or two negatives. Do you feel as if you're learning... Um, Not only where maybe you could take a step back, but you're learning where, you know, like, Mom, you need to... So I'll speak for myself. I, I think it's very easy for people to look at somebody and be like, oh, they could do this better. I think it's a lot harder for them to see themselves do something and be like, oh, I could do this better. And that's... I, I have been working to watch these videos when I edit them... It's hard. I can see my limitations. I can see myself struggling. I can see myself reverting back to that kind of like, would you just listen to me? Like kind of stomping around like a little kid. And I can even understand like why that dynamic is. So yeah, I'm watching these and learning and, and deciphering what I'm actually watching and then questioning like, why am I reacting that way? Why am I speaking that way? Why did that come up versus this come up? And it's helping me understand like my subconscious brain, like what's really underneath everything. Yeah, so that's, that's what I'm learning. What about you? I'm in the same boat as you where I'm seeing my, my mannerisms, my nonverbal cues or clues, where in Tony's video, Holly was, was saying that um, she wasn't ready to hear the news. 
about Tony. Mm -hmm. And if you watch that clip back, she says it. And, and just a split second later, I'm shaking my head no in agreement. I wasn't ready to hear it. She wasn't ready to hear it. You mm -hmm. weren't ready to hear it. Mm -hmm. And then she said, um, and John, I think you left the room. And I was looking up in the air, and that came into my brain, and I immediately shook my head no, because I knew you hadn't left the room. Mm -hmm. These are the, the nonverbal clues that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Those things, more than the conversation itself, are letting me know whether I'm truly in the conversation or I'm sitting back and allowing the conversation to happen around me. Hmm. You know how sometimes you and I are talking mm -hmm. and Holly's very quiet because she's taking it in? Mm -hmm. yes. I think I do the same thing. That's what I'm trying to say. I think you are correct. Um, after we had, me, you, and Holly had our therapy session recently, Jordan, mm -hmm. right after we got off the call, so we had a few minutes, he, he said to me, he's like, you guys are all so similar and yet very different. He said, do you realize that each one of you has a different strategy when you're faced with conflict? And I, I was like, no, what do you mean? And he's like, <laughs> he's like, John, you fight. You're a fighter. Your mom, she's flight. She leaves the situation. And Holly, she freezes. And so I, I can see how you watching yourself in those conversations and seeing like the yes and the no in your head and kind of really reconciling what we're saying with, with the truth that was going on inside of you by watching it on tape. Like, that's like... 3D learning kind of almost like it's very layered if you will um, and so we have definitely we definitely have a lot of layers I guess it'd be like the like volcanic layers or layers of glacial stuff like prehistoric shit on top of what we're attempting to uncover and unearth um, so I, I that stuff has been eye-opening to say the least I think it's awesome it's definitely awesome it's it's also it hurts um, it does hurt and I you know like I said earlier this is the short of losing Tony and Jimmy this this is the hardest stuff <laughs> I have gone through a, a state championship winning training camp three years in a row when I played football. I have gone through a fraternity hell week when I pledged. I have been through some stuff. Doesn't compare to this. That The, the feelings after, and I, I believe that maybe that will tie into what we're going to continue to talk about today, but the physical manifestations of all of this pain, for me, I can see, like, I have been, I'm, get, I'm spitballing here, but most likely so hurt for so long and have not felt heard or acknowledged that I'm always on the edge of my seat kind of waiting for somebody to see the truth in me as I'm like spitting it out or saying it. And I know part of that is also me understanding why I am so... I react the way that I do. And watching myself on tape, and then 
even after our therapy session with Jordan the other day and Holly, I came home and I was, I was so overwhelmed and overloaded. And Cindy, our other dog, was, she started like gnawing on one of my shoes and I just got loud and upset. And it was like this, I looked in her little eyes and she got like that big like, oh my gosh, what did I do? And I see that look in you and Holly and even in me when I'm watching these videos. And I believe, thinking about this, I think somewhere inside of me is a hurt little boy that never got acknowledged. And when I see, I see somebody with eyes like an infant, like a little dog, or, or you or Holly who looks scared, it takes me back to being that little boy. But then I, I believe I, I hurt or I shit on that little boy because he didn't protect me and he didn't save me when I was a little kid. And I think that's part of my, I get so on the edge and afraid because that little boy wasn't able to defend me. And so I attempt to push him down in a way to, to get rid of his voice so that the big mean me can be out here and, and show you. But in reality, it's probably more like a little boy who got hurt so much and wasn't acknowledged and the reactions are his attempt to be seen. If maybe that makes some kind of sense. That's some deep shit. So that's what I've been thinking about since I've been watching these and really, why am I doing this? Where is this all coming from? And I'm, I'm proud that I was able to say what I just said and horrified knowing what I had to go through to be able to say it. I'm sorry for my part in this, John. Thank you. What are you saying? What is like the, the takeaways for you or what you want to talk about? Why don't we go into what we were planning on talking about today, which is essentially the, the physical manifestation of long-term stress on your person. What, what do you go through when your entire childhood is spent feeling as if you're walking on eggshells? Great, what, are, what, do you, what are some things that you feel? What I feel right now is I wanna hear what you went through because of the fact that you played football. Mm -hmm. Um, your body was at peak. Do you believe peak athleticism while you were playing ball? No, I believe it, it's at peak athleticism now. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Pound for pound, I am as strong and as resilient as I was then. I was just young, and I had a lot of energy, and the hormones were working for me. And I was strong. I wasn't yeah. any of those kind of things. But we'll say, like, pound for pound, peak resiliency now is is how I feel, but I guess, um, are you asking me, like, did I feel more pain while I was playing football, or less, or not at all? Is that what you're asking me? Yes, first of all, in terms of playing football for the season, did, were you constantly feeling as if you were in, in pain, or something was inflamed, you needed to tape something here, special shoe, a special brace? 
I honestly didn't really start becoming aware of the that that extra current of pain until recently. So yeah, I I was not aware of it. So I believe when I was playing football, football was probably like an outlet for me, which allowed me to feel pretty good, which is why I liked it because all of that current and energy, I was it wasn't directed inward. Like I wasn't sitting there stewing or wondering, you know, why why dad didn't love me or why I couldn't see you or so football was like a distraction for that energy and pain, a different outlet. And when Tony and Jimmy died, instead of all of that energy that was swirling through me, cannibalizing me, that's why I went back to the gym. I think that was such like a natural um, progression for me because I had already felt what it felt like when I was 15, 16, 17, 18, playing football with all of that energy running through me. And then at 25, 26, you know, eight, seven, eight years later, after I lost them, wanting to channel that energy. And I felt strong in the weight room when I was playing football and part of a team. So that's why I started lifting again. But if I, if we peel all or some of the layers back, some of that was physiologically, i.e. like, it's like letting a dog run around so that they get tired so that they can sleep or letting a kid run around, get, get their energy out, like go, let them take them to the park, let them play. Um, for me, working out has been the way that I have redirected the, the current. And what I'm finding is that because I've gotten so proficient at working out and taking care of myself, now I actually have to really deal with the next layer of what's underneath of there. And that... I found wasn't something I could do physically. So I was channeling the energy of trauma as a little kid and as a teenager simply as a distraction. And now, now I can't just distract myself with working out because then what I've started to find out is my workouts suffer. I, because I have so much cortisol running through my body all the time, or I can't lift as much, or I don't recover as well, or sometimes my sleep is off. And that's, that's what I have found where these physical manifestations of pain, I, I can see it as a gym coach where a lot of people come to me and they're not as aware of their other stuff that, as I am. And so they come to the gym because they feel good working out in the gym, but almost inevitably they start coming up against, hey John, I'm, I feel like I'm sleeping well, I'm eating well, and I'm not getting my results. What else is going on? And I was having similar things in my life, so I started like, what else is going on? Well, damn, I can't talk to my mom. We're stressed out all the time. I can't talk to my sister. We're, she has kids and, and we're, we've, we've grown apart a little bit, not in a bad way, just in a way that like life took a left turn. And, and now then on my own dealing with this energy or even with Jackie, but not understanding it, it was starting, that reaction was starting to hurt my relationship with Jackie. It was definitely 
causing resentment between me and you. And most likely it was hard for Holly to sit down and listen to me as well. And then any of my friends that are the people that hang around me, it's like they can see that I'm a good person and they want the best for me and also like can feel how overwhelmingly hurt I am. And sometimes I understand they don't want to take that on and it pushes them away. And so it was a long-winded answer to say like, you know, football was an outlet and it was a distraction and I didn't feel the trauma pain. I think I felt better playing football because I was expressing that somehow. And now I have to find a different way to do that. The reason I asked you that question, <clears throat> I spent most of my life knowing that hormones age the body. That's something, I don't know how long I've known it, but I've known it for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And I knew that at times in my life I was under stress. But I didn't feel the physical manifestations of that stress in the moment. I've been going along saying, oh, I got lucky. I'm, I dodged that bullet. I don't have as much stress, so my body is fine. Every time I go for a checkup, everything's fine, blah, blah, blah. I thought everything was fine. With the exception, I had a heart murmur. I had a heart murmur all my life. Doctors always said, don't worry, you don't worry. So I thought I dodged a bullet there when it came to how stress and long-term stress ages the body. It re your body releases all of the hormones all at once, all the time. Yeah. When you're in a high-stress situation. Mm -hmm. Even when the situation itself in the moment isn't high-stress, it could be a low-stress situation, those hormones are still coursing through your body. Mm -hmm. But I thought I got, hey, I'm lucky. I didn't have any of those problems. I didn't have back problems. I didn't have this part, liver. I didn't have uh, kidney problems. And what happened in my case was after Tony died, and when I said I divorced my family, what I mean by that is my family and I had been on the outs, more or less, completely since 1984. The truth is, John, I hadn't spent any time with my family, all of them together, for any length of time since 1983. So when Tony died, I, I think I said this once to you before, it was as if nothing changed. I could have been gone a thousand years from that family and been dropped back in the middle of it and I know what's going on because nothing changed. It, it, it was such a weird period of time. I'm grieving Tony's death, but Tony's death is what shocked me into opening my eyes. And I was paying close attention to what was going on within my family because I was there. I was in their faces. Mm -hmm. All of us were there physically with all of them for days and then weeks. Yeah.
when you came to me, John, and said, I- I'm not doing this, Mom. They're not going to change. Mm-hmm. And I said to you, we have to give them a chance. Mm-hmm. You were right in that situation. And I'm not saying that today I'm basing that opinion on what happened in 2007, 2008, and 2009. My opinion hasn't changed because the evidence I've seen in these 16 years, when you've told me somebody's contacted you or Holly or I've run into somebody and I do the same thing, I just keep walking like you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's as if they're strangers. It's not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be an asshole, Mm-mm. but there's, there's no reason. So I just keep going. Mm-hmm. I forget where the hell I was going with that. Uh, tying it into a physical manifestation of pain somehow? Yes. Uh, I don't know how to explain this. After Tony's death, something in me, it didn't break. It changed. Immediately. Shift or something? An immediate shift. And I knew that I had to walk away. There was nothing there. Remember I said last week, there was nothing there. Can I ask you a question? Sure. How did you know it was time to walk away? Because nothing had changed, John. And there there was no... There was no relationship. There was no family. At least for me. There was nothing there. Was there a change that you were hoping for? I had just lost Tony, honestly. I wasn't hoping for anything from so him. So, yeah, there was, okay. Other than just common courtesy. And that didn't happen either, John. Okay, all right. I, there, there was no further expectation on my part. I think I had started to really make that, um, that, that, that choice more conscious, like I have to do something about this. Mm-hmm. It's been dragging on now since 1983. We're no closer to an intersection where we can at least meet and say, let's have a cup of coffee and talk. Sure. That was never gonna happen. Tony's death is what brought me into close proximity with all these people. Yeah. As difficult as it was, Tony's death superseded what was going on with these people. But I saw it clearly for what it was, John. Hmm. And I think you did too. I don't know how I did. I just, it was a feeling. Right, right. it's not, it wasn't a conscious thought on anybody's part, but somehow or another, you were able to make that distinction before I did. I was still almost pandering in some cases. And it wasn't because I wanted to be pandering. By that point, you know, like, I'd rather punch somebody in the throat at that point. I did. (laughs) That's how I felt, but I didn't punch anybody in the throat. That's good. Um, But the tension that I felt, the, the, the current and the undercurrent, you know, John, when you walk into a room and everybody wants you dead, you know how that feels. It's like a pack of hyenas almost. You're like, oh, this is... You want to back slowly mm-hmm. out? That's what it felt like. Yeah. That's what it felt like in 1984 when my mother threw me out of the house. 
Yeah. So, okay, so 1984, 2007. And in that period, Laura died. Yeah. Laura got ill, Laura died. My parents had the most acrimonious divorce on earth. Mm -hmm. The movie, The War of the Roses, my parents were the prototype for that movie. I never saw that movie, so I don't... You might want to take a, a, take a gander at that movie. All That's right. how my parents were when they got divorced. Don, it was awful. It was worse than the Hatfields and the McCoys because they were both doing all of these underhanded, sneaky things to each other. It's like they were trying to hurt each other. Yeah, oh my God, yes. Even more. Yes. Like, How dare you leave or whatever. Can I ask you a question? Do you remember a Sopranos episode where um, Carmela and Tony were thinking about getting a divorce? Yeah. And Tony went around to all the attorneys in the area, right? And Kinda, he met with them Yep. to consult. Oh, conflict of interest. Sorry, can't represent you. Correct. My father did that. For, to, to Mimi? Yes. Oh, jeez. Oh, Mimi yeah. wasn't an innocent lamb either. And I'll tell those stories someday. But the point is, oh, they were horrible to each other, John. And then as time went on, I'm not in the family. They, they had ostracized me. So I'm not really in the family. Poppy's talking to me. But I tell him, I don't want to know what the hell anybody's doing. I don't mm -hmm. care. Mm -hmm. don't, don't tell me. Mm -hmm. He did anyway, but I kept telling him not to. Um. Where the hell was I going with that? Lost my train of thought again. Some tie into physical manifestation of pain. <laughs> what did all of that do to you physically? Like the, the what it, it was, divorce. It, it raised the... it raised the stress level exponentially. When I walked away, unconsciously, like you didn't even know it. I didn't realize it at okay. the time. Yeah. And when I walked away, John, I meant for it to be permanent. And what I did was I took that and I threw it in the back seat and I said, this is not important. What happened with my family, um, whatever they have to say, whatever they have to do, blah, blah, it's not important. What's mm. important is John, Holly, me. We're important. Tony. I put everything else aside, okay? Mm -hmm. And that was my, that's what I always do, mm -hmm. right? I avoid it. I put it somewhere that I don't have to look at it. I don't have to deal with it because I'm dealing with John and Holly and me trying to get through Tony's death. That's what was important. Okay. And what happened was um, Holly ran into somebody, a family member, who mentioned that Poppy's dementia mm -hmm. was really bad. Poppy, your dad. My dad. Gotcha. My dad. His dementia was really bad. Um, so it was like 2015 or something, 2016? 2011. 2011. Oh, he died in 2015, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Okay, so okay. So this is 2011 when Holly and Holly came home and told me, and my first thought was, the head of the snake can't hurt anyone anymore. Yeah. That was what I thought. That's it crazy was thought. The first time that I that I thought I can breathe, I'll have to look over my shoulder quite as much. Hmm. So I started to let my guard down. Yeah. 2012, I started with the um, abdominal pain, the beginning of the year. That's right. You like walk. Remember when you? Um, it was the Super Bowl in 2012. <laughs> yes. And you, 
I remember my door flinging open at like 5 a.m. in the morning. You were crippled over in pain. And you're like, John, I have to go to the hospital. And I was, I, all I remember was like, what the, f okay. And I just like got up, got you to the hospital, took you there, and you had to stay overnight. Because wasn't it that start of your diverticulitis? You had like an abscess or something? I, I thought I had IBS. So oh, 2012, that's what it was. Yeah. that whole year I was in pain. Mm -hmm. It was IBS. Sorry, lady, we can't do anything for you, but um, change your diet, you know, watch the stress levels. Yeah. That, that's what you do. Yeah. By 2013, January of 2013, I said, that's it. I can't stand the pain. Mm -hmm. Went to the hospital. They diagnosed diverticulitis. So it's mm. not IBS, right? Gotcha. So I had diverticulitis. It wasn't complicated. Um, if I hadn't had a secondary diagnosis, they wouldn't have admitted me. And the second diagnosis was, uh, we think you have congestive heart failure. Right. And we're going to admit you, do a few more tests. Mm -hmm. Long story short, that was January. By June, I was in the OR having um, cardiac surgery. You had a valve replaced, right? That's right, mitral valve. Still have the picture. <laughs> You know what, I'll bring that someday. You can put it up. Maybe I'll put it in the video here. That would be interesting. I'll bring it to you. Um, so that was from January to June. That's how quickly I went from, oh, I have pain in my gut to laying on a table having open heart surgery. Yeah. Um, and they did the heart first, not the, they didn't. Yes. Yeah. When I asked my cardiologist how quickly I needed to have this done, he said, oh, five years ago. And you, you got a new cardiologist, right? No, that was Dr. Quinn. Oh. oh. He, meaning, I really should have had the surgery five years previously. That's how, that's how crucial it was at that point. Yeah, that's information that would have been valuable not at that time. Like, maybe. That's all I'm saying. Can I ask you something about that surgery? The surgery? Yeah. What did you, what did you how did you feel? Because we didn't talk about it. Oh, man. Most likely, like, after Tony died, when you were just like, I got to deal with Holly and, and John, and we got to just put that behind me and move on, I don't think I took in the, the depth and the breadth of that situation in the moment. I was just like, okay, this is what we've got to do. Let's get it done and, like, figure it out. And so... Like I, I can, I remember that whole year, because you had two surgeries that mm -hmm. year. It was was it June and September or something? Yes, it right, was. Right. Yeah. Between that time and the, I believe, if I calculated it properly, and I know I spent some time doing it. Literally, it was like get up, go to work, come to the hospital, be with you all day, go home, sleep. So we, Holly and I, both did. It was like we were shift workers at the hospital or not for six weeks. Like you were in the hospital for six whole weeks, not During able year, to come right? home. I think a month for your, or three weeks for your, maybe a month for your heart and like two weeks for the, something like that. But it was, you weren't able to leave. And so we had to be there. I, we were all you had. And then like living our lives too. And I, this might be the first opportunity I'm taking to really take all that in. It was hard. It was tough to see you that way. 
and I don't think I let my mind, my mind go to like, well, she could die, she could whatever. I, I, I think I was already hurting so much. I, I didn't want to entertain that. But I remember he busting into my room. I remember taking you to the hospital several times. I remember sitting with Dr. Quinn or your cardiologist and, and talking to him about stuff and figuring things out. I remember them then sitting down and telling you, you need a pacemaker after all of that down mm -hmm. the road. And it, yeah, mom, for like a whole year, our, our lives were stress, hospital, sleep. If I go back and look at pictures of myself from 2012 and 2013, which I have recently, cause I've been doing all this video work. Like I, my Google photos and stuff like, like just my library of stuff that I have done over the years, I've kind of like sifted through, like looking for stuff for Tony's video or Jimmy's video. And I see pictures of me from them then. And even though like I was lifting weights and I was doing stuff, I can see like this like gaunt kid that was like just barely hanging on. But in reality, I was dying. <laughs> That's what I could see, so <laughs> God. It was hard to see you like that, too. I won't lie. It was just tough times. Do you realize that it happened when I started to relax? You said, you, you did guard. say that, right. Like, you said that you had the thought that you thought the head of the snake was gone, and then as soon as you started to relax, boom, physical right. things started coming and manifesting. Yeah. I, I've heard over the years that the body keeps score. Right? It does. And again, I'm going along in my life thinking, dodge that bullet. Nothing's wrong with me. I'm fine. I'm healthy. I'm this. I'm that. No, there's no problem. Until I let my guard down. It's when, when you're in the middle of stress is not when you're sick or when you're down and out. Yeah. It's when the stress stops and your body goes back to normal, or as close to normal for your body as can be, is when the physical manifestations begin to take hold. It's like a snowball. Well, uh, a uh, similar analogy is like the, the workaholic that works all the time and then they go on vacation and they get sick on vacation. That's right. Because they're, they're working so hard all the time and then like they take a rest and, and then their body is like, cool, we got you. <laughs> let us go ahead and let you know the score that you've been tallying that you weren't aware of. Yeah. I'm wondering something because of how quickly it went and how far south it went for a little bit. Do you think that caused you to, to want to be even more physically fit than you were before? Thank you for making it this far in our show. If you're feeling overwhelmed, that's okay. Just know that you're not alone, that we're here with you, and then we're gonna work through this together. If you need some help or assistance, dial 988 or head over to our website, www.iamnotok.com, www.iamnotok.com. Dot com for a space where you can breathe. And if you want to send us an email and let us know how you're doing, we can get back to you as soon as we can and make sure that you're on the right path. 
Now, back to the show. Remember that thing I said earlier in this podcast where it was like when I was looking at um, like Cindy or like a little kid or you with the wide eyes and, and kind of like seeing them as a little kid that was frightened, mm -hmm. right? So hold on. What did you just say? You just asked me something. I, I asked you if you thought that the fact that my health fell off a cliff so quickly and went so far south, yeah. did that impact you to the point where you wanted to be even more physically fit than you were before? I believe I wanted to be more physically fit than I was before because I identified as that little vulnerable kid and I was trying to be strong. For you? For me. Okay. Not so much to not be sick but more to be able to defend myself and take care of myself so that nobody could hurt me, which is, it seemed to be the thread of my life. I was in pain and being hurt and I, I didn't want to hurt anymore. I wanted to be strong and big and not let things hurt me. So I, I believe that's probably why I gravitated more towards physical fitness, not necessarily not just to not hurt like you. Is that, is that what you mean? Did I answer your question, mm -hmm. kind of? Mm -hmm. All right. Um, yeah, I... Yeah, that, that actually wasn't the, the main thread. Um, now, part of like maintaining my health and fitness is, I, I think I talked about it on one of the other podcasts, I, I have people that come in and they see their parents falling apart. I think now that's a big impetus for me. So I think it, what you're saying, it's more that now than it was like building it and starting. I think I started really getting into physical fitness and health to protect my fragile ego and that fragile little kid inside. And now I keep doing it to protect the fragility of being human because I know I'm human and I will get older and there will be things that I just can't fight against, you know. Time and gravity usually always win. Always, always win. <laughs> well, and so that's the, the good fight that I'm working against uh, now. And now I'm realizing the physical matter, like... Uh, Let's just say in the last week and a half to two weeks since we had our, our last podcast talk and then we had our therapy session, mm -hmm. say for the mornings that I had to be in early here, which were a couple, the mornings that I was able, I, I think I slept like eight and a half, nine, nine and a half, ten hours, like three or four nights in a row. And that was because of? The conversation we had, therapy, and, and how I felt after that. I had to like recover. I have never felt that way after workouts or training camp or any physical thing that I put myself through. Never. So the recovery from talking about all of this and doing it, I believe, I, I haven't tested my body. I'd love for somebody with like to be able to test my nervous system and see, like compare like, What's it like deadlifting 500 pounds versus having a conversation like this? And then what, what are the effects on my body? Because it feels more devastating, this stuff, than working out. That would be my opinion, too. 
And man, wouldn't it be interested if there's a way to qualify and quantify that information? Yeah, I'd be very interested to see what I it does. I told one of these conversations. Okay, it wasn't the last one. Maybe it was the one before. Mm-hmm. Where I said, yeah, I went home. I fell asleep at, yes. I don't know, 6 o'clock. And I slept all night long. Yeah, you slept like 12 hours, yeah, right? I was yeah. just I, I, paralyzed with exhaustion. Bingo. That's been most of my life, and I didn't realize it. Running on cortisol, running, 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 and then like those moments of not. And I wasn't saying like I was a sick little kid. I, I didn't have like lots of... No sicknesses um I, I believe my sickness was more like the foods i was reaching for and certain things like that um like comfort to feel better to run away from the internal pain so you, you stuff yourself and then at least if even for a little while you're sitting there uh digesting this big meal that you just ate then your body is focusing on that big meal and not so much on your shit so at least it's some kind of weird relaxation hmm? And we, that ties into some Tony Robbins stuff where he's like, you're meeting a need. So people will eat or do drugs or whatever because they're in pain because they don't want to feel that. So it's like a distraction. So working out for me was like that distraction from the pain. Playing football was a distraction. Then drugs became a distraction. Food when I was a little kid. Um, and, and even in some ways, then, then being reactive is a distraction because when I react... I shut down, and I'm not actually taking anything in. So, yeah, man, unwinding all of that is just, hmm, it's a web. Do you know anyone who's reached that point? No, I, I'm searching. That I'm desperately searching for to talk to people who have been through things like we do and are able to manage it as well or better than we have. I don't even know how to say that. Yeah, I, I want to talk to like. Well, I think we still suck at it at the point at the at the moment. We're learning. Uh, I think we're not super good at it. <laughs> I I believe that we can definitely have room for improvement. Yeah. I believe we don't suck at it simply because we're here talking about it. I think sucking at it would have just been like everything's good and keep going with that string, which we 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 got rid of that. So we're not doing that. Let me ask you another question. Please. From, from when we began until today. The podcast? From when we began the podcast until what we're doing here today. Do you feel better than you did at that point? Oh, yeah. Emotionally? Yes. Do you feel stronger emotionally? More resilient, yes. More resilient, okay. Are, are we still at the very beginning of this process, in your opinion? No. No? Where do you think we are in a timeline? I think we're kind of at that, where we're kind of the old foundation that our relationship used to lie on, that was crumbled and broken. I believe we're kind of, like, this is like sweeping up the last bits of the bricks and the debris and the whatever, so we can start putting down new, healthy, stronger bricks. So we're, we're in the final phases of cleanup. I don't think we're knocking things down. I, I don't, but maybe you do. So we're, we're done excavating the rubble. I think a lot of it was knocked down when Tony and Jimmy and all them died. And, and just we, we just kind of walked away from it. Like, 
like Stonehenge or some shit, just a bunch of stuff like hanging out over there. <laughs> and now we're kind of coming back to it to be yeah, Bearhenge <laughs> or some shit. But like now we're coming back to it and like, oh, look at that prehistoric shit that this fucked up family left like 20 years ago. <laughs> so I think we're coming back to it with fresh eyes now and the ability to be like, we can rearrange it and or rebuild it. Uh, what does it feel like to unsuck? What does it feel like what? To unsuck. <laughs> How do you mean that? I mean, well, I don't know if we can answer this question if we don't know anybody that's... To suck less? Meant be, ...gotten beyond all of this, not walked over it. I mean, gone through it. You have to go through it. I don't know that there's many that are or do or have. That's my point. So people can say to me, ah, I have my shit together. But their actions are telling me, no, you don't. Yeah. So you, you become, not a mind reader, but you become much better at deciphering the visual clues around you. And the... Taking the, all the information. Um, mundane audio cues that usually go over our heads but mean something to the person saying it, and they're saying it in a way to get it out because I can't stand it in my body anymore. In a way, though, that doesn't implicate them in anything, and they can just get their, their uh, out, right? Mm -hmm. And nobody knows. That's do what, we all do that? That's what our brain does. Is just spit it out like well, uh, popcorn? If we're feeling pain, our brain will say something to... Like, uh, your brain, the thoughts that you have, or your body is designed to keep you safe, not happy. So when you say something, it's coming from a place of your brain wants to keep you safe. So if you're not telling the truth, then your body probably feels a threat from whatever the situation is. Thus, what comes out you think is true, but it really isn't. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm learning about the body. So then if, if you're continuously if you believe one thing, but your, your actions are not doing that thing, you have to go inside your brain and say, well, why is my brain or body trying to keep me safe? What is it trying to keep me safe from? So if, with me and you, I think it's trying to keep me safe from some of the, like we're having these same conversations and my brain and body is like, dude, you've already gone over this. It hurts. Why are you doing it? You know, like that's, and it's like, Bang, 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 bang. That, that just keeps on a, on a fucking loop. Aren't we doing it on the podcast, though, for the first time? Uh, so, like, we're doing a podcast for the first time. We're not talking about these things on camera for the first time. So I believe sometimes I might be reacting to a partial conversation we had before and what we're saying in the here and the now. I have to make sure I'm reacting or responding to what's really being said, not what was said in the moment. Like react and respond to what you just said, mm -hmm. not to the thing you said four months ago about the same situation that doesn't matter right now. And I believe you and I get in that space sometimes where 
we'll be saying something, whatever, and we'll remember something from a conversation we had from four months ago, and then we bring it up in this current conversation, and we're like, where the hell did that come from? And it's like, at least the last conversation, I saw that a lot between us, Where and so I want to make sure that we're slowing it down to take it all in. We can all get our points across. Yeah, and, um, we can. Somewhat less explosive terms, I think. Yeah. So physically, let me ask you a question. Go ahead. You said you didn't feel these things until recently. Are you feeling yourself take longer to recover, for example? than you did 10 years ago? Or is it something specific that is going on where your body isn't reacting the way it would have in your 30s, for example? I think I'm noticing more physical manifestations of pain now because I'm so in tune with how my body works that I know when it's kind of off kilter or and or if I think I'm sleeping right and I think I'm working out right and I'm working properly, but I'm still stressed out, I'm starting to learn where to look and how, how to understand what else might be causing me distress. How do you deal with it? How do you address it? On a case by case situation, Uh, let's go with the because everybody's seen it like John being snappy and reactive right when I get that way even if I'm sleeping all the time and eating right and working out and like taking my vitamins and stuff that's a, a first sign indicator that I am under distress that I am unaware of and my body is attempting to keep me safe and I'm lashing out at something. So when I'll be driving in in the morning or on the way home and somebody doesn't go away from the, or they honk at me on the street or they like stop short or something like that and I react to that, which I don't always. So most of the time I'm like thinking about what I wanna do and I'm like moving forward, but every once in a while I'll be like, what the fuck, like just keep driving. like. And I'm like, now in those moments, then I'll like, the next step is like, hey dude, you gotta shut it down. You gotta like remove yourself a little bit from more situations, spend more cave time, more, you gotta write something down. Maybe you don't have to work out as much. Maybe it's sleep more. So I address it when I, when I see the, the sprouting of it. And I'm not like trying to hide my pain or, or not deal with it. I'm giving it the space with inside my body and moving through my life. And when a situation comes up, either that I didn't see or it's new or it somehow parallels something that I've been to before and my body gets this little reactivity in it, I'm just more aware of it. And 
so for the sleep thing, I'll sleep more. I, I also noticed, um, like, I was having more headaches since when we started this podcast, too. And that was like a... I, I, every morning I would either like take a walk or sit down and just do like 10 deep breaths or three to five minutes of breathing. And I sort of got out of that pattern once we started all of this and I started having headaches and being more snappy and things like that. And, and as much as things are exciting and I want to do the podcast and I want to do all these things, sometimes when we get out of our routine of the things that take care of ourselves, then you can start to see the snappiness or the pain or the whatever. So I think, I, I know, I believe that why I'm so adamant about like personal responsibility and people taking care of themselves is they can mitigate that most of the time. I.e. like if you are sleeping enough and you are kind of taking care of your emotional health and you're eating, you know, most of the right foods, then you're taking care of your mental health and your gut health and your physical health. And then if there's something going on, then you can really dial in on what that is. So that's, those are the tools that I've used, but it, I wouldn't have got there if I hadn't started 16 years ago, whatever. So it took some time. How do you manage, deal with, become aware of your physical limitations or pain or whatever like you have your sciatica flared up and started back in like september and you just told me about it recently <laughs> funny you say flared up i never had that before either so yeah so brand new. and yeah i um started with just a little bit of leg pain and next thing i knew my leg was on fire yeah like you couldn't walk i couldn't walk it was horrible yeah it was it was probably the most constantly painful condition I think I've ever had. Even more so than the heart or the stomach or any of that? Oh, yeah. All that was more intermittent? It wasn't nearly as painful as I Wow. So I, 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 it, w it was brutal. It started in um, beginning of November. Mm. And it wasn't until the uh, first week of January I was finally able to say, shoo, I think I'm finally over that one. But um, that will humble your ass what very was, quickly. What were some of the things that you had to do to manage it or get, get on with it? <laughs> well, I was a physical therapy. Yeah. Uh, stretches. Mm -hmm. Moving around. It's, it's the strangest condition. Your leg is on fire. If you put any weight or pressure on that leg, there's a, you know, lightning bolt shooting down your leg, up your leg. I couldn't even tell. It was, it was very painful. But then if you stretch enough and hobble around on that, on that sore leg enough, suddenly the pain disappears. It completely disappears as if it didn't even happen. Huh. You can get on with doing anything you need during the day. It'll come back at some point. But you get that, that little reprieve, or at least I did, um, almost every day. But then there were times where the pain, this is one condition where the pain uh, prevented me from sleeping and also woke me up mm. from sleep. Mm -hmm. um, most conditions I've ever had don't do that. Mm. So that's how I judge it as a more painful condition. Understood, yep, couldn't sleep so, with it. And again, I never had that before. Do you think 
talking about these things as part of it? Yes. I just realized that right now. Oh, wow. I, I didn't even... Yeah. I already knew that's why I was having headaches and why I'm sleeping so much. Yeah. This shit is heavy, man. That didn't even cross my mind. How weird is that? I'm curious as to why he, it didn't. Like, you just talked about how when the I head know, of the I snake was have. cut off yeah. and Poppy was not feeling good that your body relaxed. Well, what, did, what did, when you came to us and were like, yeah, we're going to talk about this, was that like another relaxation somehow in your body? Because you're like, okay, we're finally going to, and then we've been getting into it and it's been hard and then your body's you know reacting. It, you know what, it might be some, some of that. Something like that. Because I haven't been contemplating talking about what happened in my family and, and my life and how I dealt with it and whatever. I've been thinking of doing this since 2015. Hmm. I created my YouTube channel in 2015. Okay. So I wanted to, um, that, that was the reason I created it. I really wanted to talk about these things. I had been watching um, videos for years at that point, reading everything I could possibly read on dysfunctional families, um, how difficult personalities develop within families, the family roles, the family system. And I knew that my family fit a lot of that criteria. And it was an outlet that I never contemplated existing. You know, when I was going through all of this, there was no access to information, certainly not the way there is today. Um, there was limited access to mental health providers. But even then, a lot of this information wasn't available to the professionals, much less the lay people or the, or the um, patients. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know what I was dealing with. I was sure I was the problem. That's, you're in your little box in your life, right? Yeah, it's easy to, if you do all the things and nothing goes away, it must be me, right? Right. Yeah. I always thought it was me. I never knew that there was something else driving how I feel. I was told how I feel, right? Yeah. Yeah. So what from, I from people felt, who didn't know how right, they felt. What I what I what I actually felt. Yeah. I never felt. I still don't know what that means. Yeah. In in its entirety at this point. So maybe part of the disconnect between me and you cuz like remember when you said like John somehow you knew how to go away from my family before I did mm -hmm. cuz I felt it in my body. I believe I believe maybe part of my survival strategy was like being connected inside and feeling in here. And I, some other people's survival strategy, they go up in their head and they, they think a lot. And so they kind of get disconnected from what they feel and they don't know how to lean into and or even that it's a thing that can be telling them something like your body's like anxious or your <laughs> short breath or whatever and that's like the anxiety and your, your body kicking on the cortisol trying to tell you don't do the thing and you're like no no no, this is just you know the way things are and you, you try to talk yourself out of it without understanding why you're even having to talk yourself out of something or because you're not even able to be aware that your body is like revving up in response to something that hasn't happened yet so you're saying when your body feels, uh, 
But something the else charge. is going on. Yeah. Yeah. Your body most likely feels it before and, and you're aware. It's almost aware. like a revulsion in your your body is saying, "Nah, I don't want to go near that thing." Yeah. Yes. I've been near this situation. It didn't go well. I'm 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 contracting your muscles. I'm making your heart rate get shallower. I'm making your blood speed up. Your heart pump faster. It's like panic. It's like fight or flight. And that's why I'm like, I'm fight, because I get stuck there, and other people go fight, they fight, you know. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Can we agree not to fight? This is an honest question. We're not going to fight, just want to ask you a question. Do you honestly believe, no, I shouldn't say honestly, do you believe that I should communicate with Brad in any way, shape, or form? Only if it feels right to you. <laughs> I'm passing that one right back to you. Okay, the reason are, I Are you ask, asking, do I want you to, or do I think you should? Those are two separate questions. Uh -huh. And you can answer both of them, actually, yeah. if you want. Well, I, I think you should do what honestly feels right to you and what will allow you to feel safe and heard and seen. And yes, I want you to. Do you know why you want me to? Probably for my nervous system to relax. At the very least, for me to see you guys, you say you hate him. He doesn't want to be around you. So, like, the actions, clearly, I, I understand that. The, if even one time, even with a mediator, that isn't me, or somebody in the room, to have you guys sit down and say whatever you need to say to each other, whether or not it lands, just to get it out, both of you. I'd be curious to hear what that sounds like, knowing I probably won't get what I want, which is for you both to like be able to like come to my wedding and not hate each other, or go to Holly's housewarming party and dad not talk shit, or you walk away from him because he's an idiot. But like, I, on a lot of levels, I can understand your pain and hatred for him. So I, I, I cannot be the person that's like, yeah, I think you should. That's not my call. I want you to. I, because I believe somewhere down the line, it might give you a modicum of peace, maybe. But if you don't feel that way, don't do it. Do you mind if I give you my perspective? Always, go ahead. To me. When I walked away from my family, it was a couple of years before, I walked away from Brad. Do you know why I stopped communicating with him? Do you remember? You might not remember. No, go ahead, fill me okay. in. Um, he okay, came, he came and found you at work, town and country. Oh, jeez. Yep. Right? yep. That was April of 2009. I'm giving you dates here, John, because... The conversations I have about some of these things are so far and few between that I remember them verbatim. They're so, there's only like a handful of conversations I've had with some of these people in the last 30 years. So I remember these conversations very well. Mm -hmm. In this case, he came to town and country, right? So that was 2009. And why did he come to town and country? Because I wasn't talking to him. And what did he want to tell you? Do you remember? Not specifically. Surgery. He was, he having, was surgery. having surgery, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, he had that surgery. Um, 
So he came to find you at work to tell you he had to have surgery. And you were so upset mm -hmm. by what had happened mm -hmm. that you called me right away. And I did what I did as your mother. I reacted. Mm -hmm. I pick up the phone. I call my former husband. Mm -hmm. Why would you do this to John? If, if you want to, why don't you just pick up a phone and call him? You have to... The theatrics? Mm -hmm. In the middle of that conversation, he hung up on me. Mm -hmm. And that's when I realized there's, there's no point in talking to Brad. I, I'm not going to... He, he doesn't hear my frequency. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. okay. I, and, and now I understand. I try to hear his. Yeah. Maybe I don't, but I do try. But the, the, okay. the real reason, the biggest reason, John, mm -hmm. for me is this. Would you ask any other person to communicate with their abuser? Uh, only if I believed it was good for them. Not, I think you should because I think you should. Right. Yeah. That's no, what no, I'm asking. No, no, mm -mm. no, I would not. So I, it's very contextual. I don't want to speak to him. I know you want me to. Okay. Okay. Maybe it'll change down the line, John. We're, we're just in the beginning of this. Understood. So my feelings with regard... I don't hate him, John. Are you sure? I despise him, but I don't hate him. Because I, I believe if you did actually hate him, it would hurt you more than him. No, I don't hate him. I despise him for what he's done to our family. Now, you can, you can disagree with me. I don't... I have, a, I have a different history with my former husband than you have with your dad. Look... It, as hard as I have clearly been on you during this, if he was sitting here, man, you'd see fireworks, boy. I, that's all I can tell you, because as much as you haven't heard me, he doesn't even know who I am. You at least kind of know. So I believe a big part of, like, he's not here for a reason, and he reaches out to me on holidays. Look, part of it is too, I told him to stay away from me. He has. And, and I, I believe if he actually really wanted to like talk about things, like, is he supposed to like, hey John, we haven't talked in a while. I'm your dad, I love you. We're gonna meet for dinner somewhere and we're gonna talk about things. We haven't talked about Tony. Me, you, Holly, we need to sit down and, and really understand things. No, I haven't gotten any of that. And I don't know if that's in part because when I told him way back when, when I was hurting and 25 years old and even worse off reactive-wise to, to just go fuck off and he's literally fucking off. Okay, okay. Then I, that is my fault or I'll own that. But here's what I've learned that it was like with you, when you came to me and said, I want to start having these conversations at first, I was like, yeah, but then when I, I stepped back and thought about it, and then when we actually started just doing it and turning the cameras on, even though it's hard, it, it gives us, it's like a stenographer, like listening to everything that we're saying, you know what I mean? Which is important. So at the very least, I think sometimes with dad, I know 
I believe Holly has this sometimes with him is he'd say one thing and then say, oh, I didn't say that. And the only reason now that I, like, I will, I'm willing to have a conversation with him with somebody else in the room so that there's a record. And if that somebody else is the camera, then at least I can go back and look at it and be like, am I the freaking crazy one here? And so I'd be willing to have that conversation now because I believe I have created safety in order to have that conversation. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. And I don't blame you for wanting to have that conversation with your dad. Uh, I hope that at some point you do because it's important to you. I don't want to have any conversation with my former husband. And as I said, John, my reason, there really is only one reason. He hurt my children. And he did it intentionally. Okay. Then I, um, I support your decision. I, this will be the last time that I bring it up to, to ask you to talk to him or suggest maybe that you should. Now it's here on tape. If you ever believe that it's the best thing for you, please. If not, watch mine and his conversation. <laughs> can I ask you a question? You can. Uh, five years ago, could you have seen me sitting here with you talking about these things? Mm, five years ago, 2019. I think we were on the start of it. But no. I, what, what was it? Aha! What was the aha that made you come to me back in June last year? I have been watching a lot of, like I said, watching a lot of YouTube videos on um, dysfunctional families. Uh, narcissism is everywhere. You can't escape it. And I started watching videos and reading online because I wanted to understand what the hell I was dealing with here. I knew in part what I was dealing with, but I still didn't have... I only knew what I was dealing with. I didn't know what the hell I was going to do with it. Uh, right? Uh -huh. So I'm still watching videos. I'm watching videos. I'm watching videos. I'm watching videos. I'm watching videos. When did you start? Back in 2015 doing all that? No, I started before that. Oh. 20... See, after my surgery, so it was like 2013. Mm, it's probably when you got like your first iPhone and started like playing around with like apps and things because you yeah. were laid up and you probably had time to you know what? That's right. mess around with stuff. That's Interesting. Right. Um, and of course the landscape and YouTube was very different back then. Uh, so totally the, the information about these topics grew exponentially mm -hmm. probably over the past, what, eight, nine years, uh, three to five, three to five. Okay. Yeah. So I've been watching since my surgery mm -hmm. and trying to understand where I fit in, in this weird family and where I fit in with my husband and my children and, and how the hell I got from one point to the other. And I started to learn about the different personalities, the dysfunctional families, the intergenerational um, episodes that are passed down to the generations. And I realized when I walked away from my family, like I said, I'm no longer part of the family. I'm, I'm other, I'm out here. Huh. So now I'm looking at this from a completely different perspective. Up until that point, 
I was part of the family. Mm. So I was looking at everything from that perspective. Mm -hmm. And I'm down here. Remember I said I'm nothing in the family? Mm -hmm. This is where I belong in my family. And that's, that was my perspective all those years until I said, done. And when I walked away and we started to come out from under, mm -hmm. losing Tony, um, what the hell was I talking about? I completely forgot. Why you decided to do the podcast. Why I decided to do the Right. I, I was under here. I was the bad guy. Right? Mm -hmm. So I walked away. And then I started to read and to watch these videos, and I'm learning, wait a minute, I wasn't the only bad guy in the equation. Mm -hmm. All of us were the bad guys. Oh, yeah. All of us contributed to where we are today. Mm -hmm. I contributed to my family in one way or another, good, bad, or indifferent. I contributed to my marriage, to my children's lives good, bad, or indifferent. So my, my focus went from what these people had done to what am I doing? Why did I do what I did? I, I, I don't have very many answers in that arena yet. That you have that answer, I think, is pretty darn good. I think, John, in part it's because I'm not sure I want to know. Oh, interesting. What if, what if... Well, that could be your body keeping you safe from the truth. What if I am that horrible person? Oh, uh... What's the plan B? What do I do? So you watch Jordan Peterson. We've been into some of his stuff, mm -hmm. right? I'll go with the short version here. There's a book out. I'm going to paraphrase a lot of things here, so just bear with me. Jordan talks about this book that was written called The Gulag Archipelago. Mm -hmm. It's like a three-part book that was written by a Russian man in the 40s or 50s after World War II about the Nazis who were the um, concentration camp officers who were taking pregnant women out and shooting them in the back of the head and getting violently ill over it and yet still committing these acts. And what again, I'm going to paraphrase here and boil this down, but what he's saying basically is don't think that you couldn't be that person shooting somebody in the back of the head if you were pushed far enough. We are all capable of horrendous acts of humanity pushed far enough. I don't know that that takes away your pain. I just want, I believe, you to understand humans are capable of being monsters. And I believe admitting that versus saying like, I hope I'm not that, is at the very least acknowledging your truth or the truth about humans in some way. John, I grew up in that family. I've always known that I'm capable of being as vicious, as abusive, and as horrible as the family I came from. I know. I'm capable of that. Yeah. And I've always known that about myself. I'm not completely innocent in all of this. I will say this. I think I've said it before. When it comes to this sustained level of abuse that my husband, my family, and his, hus and his family participated in, 
over the course of close to 25 years. John, when I tell you, look at me, when I tell you that I have zero trepidation, when I say I am guilty of absolutely nothing that would justify this level of abuse, mm -hmm. nothing. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to ask you a question. In, in your opinion, what would someone have to do in order for that abuse to be justified? Is there anything that an individual can do that would justify that abuse? No. In your opinion? No. That's what this situation is about for me. It's not just, I left my husband, and there's hurt feelings. There's always hurt feelings. There's anger, there's hurt feelings, there's trauma, there's all of it. And you expect that in a situation when a relationship ends, okay? You eventually, however, get through the trauma. You learn to live your life again in a different way. Everybody goes their separate ways. You're not looking over your shoulder for your former spouse around every corner. I felt like that, John. Let me give you an example. Is that okay? Yes. Around the time I left Brad, we just probably separated six months. Um, Bruce and I were seeing each other. Mm -hmm. I was still married, but Bruce and I were seeing each other. He stayed at my place because I moved out. Wait a minute. Let me back up five seconds. I moved out of my home because I was sick of my husband. I said I'm getting a divorce. Brad refused to move out. I couldn't live with that man not knowing when he was going to start in on me again. I said, all right, I'll leave the kids here. But I was there day and night, John. The only time you were alone with Brad was when you were sleeping. So I got an apartment. We agreed that when I was in a position to get a bigger place, the kids were coming with me. It was our agreement. The minute I left, he reneged and all hell broke loose, okay? Where the hell is I going with this? What am I talking about? Oh, what, how, what Brad was capable of. I'm sorry, I'm such an asshole. Bruce and I were going to work one morning. As soon as we pull out of the parking lot of my apartment, we get pulled over by the police. Bruce is driving, I'm in the passenger seat. He wants to see um, license and registration. The officer wants to see that. I get the registration and Bruce has to say to the officer, my license is suspended. I didn't know his license was suspended. Hmm. That was weird. I don't know why he wouldn't tell me, but I didn't know. He was driving my car. And so the officer said, until you get your um, license situation straightened out, you drive and everybody's fine. Well, as I was getting out of the car and walking around to get in the driver's side, I look over, oh look, that's my husband, in the parking lot across the street, watching everything happen. I'm gonna say this again, because I don't think you picked up on it. I didn't know Bruce's license was suspended. Somebody did. Brad did. Mm. More than that, John, you tell me, what police station can you walk in, Mr. Civilian, in this country and say, officer, I know that person is driving without their license, and I'd like you to pull them over on a traffic stop. None. Find something to pull them over with. Because at that point, they didn't have any reason to. Mm-hmm. 
So you tell me, how would my husband know that Bruce didn't have a license? And what was the probable cause for him to even pull you over? There was none. Bef like, a taillight would have had to have been right, out or, or something. Turn signal, you didn't and then signal. you would have found, oh, I don't have a license. So. Exactly. Okay. So the primary reason for being pulled over, let me see your license. Mm -hmm. My husband's across the street, and he was still my husband at that point. Mm -hmm. How do you think Brad got that information? I know. Your father. Who do you think set up that traffic stop? Mm -hmm. It was the next town over because you were in Hatfield, right? And he was in Lansdale? That is correct. Yeah, I remember. Okay? Mm -hmm. What I just told you about that situation is what I've been dealing with all along. Brad wouldn't come to me and say, hey, I have an issue with this. Let's deal with it. Mm -hmm. He went to my family. For whatever reason, my family decided to participate with my former husband. Mm -hmm. Now, the way I see it, my family, Andrea in particular, who had no idea what was going on in my marriage, was perfectly happy to put your lives at risk, perfectly happy to put my life at risk. My family had no idea how far my husband would go. I had no idea how far my husband would go. But these people were happy to put our lives at risk because they had an ax to grind. John, this, is, this isn't me just talking at my ass. All of this is corroborated. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Some of it by Brad himself. I don't know how much you know of your dad, but when he does something like this, he wants me to know he did it. And if I don't know, he'll tell me. Okay, well then these will be things that I would want to <laughs> ask him and sit here and be like, does his version of, the, like, I want to be like, did you have Poppy spy on mom to pull up Bruce over? You think yes. And if he says no, somebody's not telling the truth. Exactly. And Poppy's not here and whatever. So, like, there could be all that. But, like, that, so knowing that, then I, like, would have reserve to, like, trust dad even more because then it'd be like and I could sit here and be like yeah I just you're telling me this story but like how should I believe it I can't not believe it like what really what conveys to me that you're telling the truth like remember how you said to me like John when you get reactive you take me right back to being with my yes. former husband mm -hmm. if you were reactive or trying to just like bury him I would know that you're not attempting to do that. This is not coming from pain. It's painful to you. It's not coming from a spiteful place towards him. It's coming from a truthful, soft place inside of you that I can feel the, the, the vibration of the words that you're saying. They're landing inside of me, and it's not grating against my nervous system, i.e., she's bullshitting you, and I'm just trying to keep you safe. So I'm not having that alarm mm -hmm. go off so I as I sit here I can say I believe what you're saying and this isn't the first time you've told me that and it's just the first time you've told me that on the podcast with all the details now, now I can sit with it more and really work to understand it I know that there were times where you were followed by other people in yes. the family and things like that mm -hmm. or at least you told me that I would want to sit here with the other party who might have been involved in that and have the same conversation. That these are the kind of things that I 
I'm willing to do to the point of like, uh, are you lying to me? And then if you are, then it's very simple for me to do the holly. And, yeah, fuck you. Keep it, keep it fucking rolling. Throw the two fingers up, right? Um, I wonder if that's where dad's at, i.e. He knows he's going to have to reconcile this shit and he doesn't want to do it either, which is why he attempts to keep things so light and doesn't want to initiate those tough conversations because he knows his part in them. I, I don't know. You've talked to him more in... Not much. Years since I have, right? Not much. Not much. Okay, but you have more so than I have. Do you get the feeling he has the capacity to dig that deep? I'm not sure I can speak to that. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Because I'm, I'm a... I wouldn't say eternal optimist. I'm a believer in people. And in the believer in the... I don't believe want people want to be seen as stupid or want to hurt other people. So if given the opportunity to make that right, I believe he might do that. Okay. Maybe he needs a safe space or to make sure that I don't punch him in the face when he says something, you know, because I'm very capable of doing that now. The tables have turned. It's He used to be big and scary and 300 pounds and call me a fat little shit and could, like, whip the fuck out of me and, like, make me not come back towards him now nothing he can do to me physically or emotionally or linguistically that I can't get around or over on him and I think he knows that can I bring up a point that I I had forgotten I think it was last week you asked me why am I talking about my father and what does the fact that he was in law enforcement have anything to do with this and the story I just told you with with regard to Brad that's what my father has to do with this. I told you he abused his authority mm-hmm. as a police officer, mm-hmm. um, as a police chief, and he did so in order to create havoc in other people's lives. He was obtaining information that he had no need, no professional need mm-hmm. to be in possession of. And he would take that information and use it against someone who he has an issue with. My father never stopped that, John. The last time I saw my father was when he entered court to support my husband, my yeah. former husband. Yeah. And we'll talk about that when Holly's here. I'm going to talk about that when Holly's here. Okay. But that weird relationship with my family didn't end until after Tony died. My father was a cop, and he abused his position to obtain information about all of us to keep in his back pocket from his favorite granddaughter, Katie, to you, to me, to everyone Mm -hmm. Poppy thought was an adversary. Um, So they all act as if I don't know who my father was. I know he did this. Okay. You know, he had a file, whether it was a physical file or a file on his head. He operated like J. Edgar Hoover. Yeah, he okay. said that before. Keeping, right, he, he collected data. And that's, he would use that data mm-hmm. in order to knock you down a peg or ten. And he did it all the way up until the end. Hmm. You know? Um, that's a sad life. It is a sad life. But I guarantee you my father's not the only police officer 
cool. who abuses that, his let, position. We're okay. You're probably right about okay. that. I also, there's like, if we had 10 cops here, eight or nine of them are not like your dad. I, I So at least that's my estimation, I believe. See, my opinion is different where the pyramid is upside down. You would have to show me big evidence t- for me to be like, okay, I get and see it. So I All of understand. my evidence is anecdotal. Okay, well, cool. Then we don't need to spitball. You believe no, what don't. you believe, and I believe what I believe, and cool. So, so all that aside, the physical manifestation of all of this, for you, like crazy-making behavior, right? Oh, without a doubt. Absolutely. Never feeling clear-headed, not really being able to understand us not really being able to understand yourself and then being lied to from all these angles what's actually real what what do we settle on no wonder we couldn't like turn off and let our nervous system relax we've always been on guard because we've always been being watched there was a long time john where i did feel insane and and i mean that sincerely I didn't know what was real. When? When was that period? That period was probably from five years after the divorce when life should have been settling down until after Tony died. Are you I felt st- insane. Are you still dealing with any physical manifestations of the pain from feeling insane? Do you still... Does that still come out at all somehow? You know what? I don't believe it does. I don't believe it does. I've done a lot of reflecting on myself and why I was reactive. And and I was. Why were you reactive? I was hurt. Hurt from just your dad and your mom and growing up, all that, and then Brad and... All right. Do, Do you believe that hurt is something that can heal or something that you can manage? I think it has tremendously healed Okay. in the last probably six years. And that's because logic, checklists, I know it sounds ridiculous, but to me it works. I I think whatever works, works. And what I mean by works is I'm not saying I'm... Um, hiding any emotions, mm-hmm. that I'm pretending that the emotions aren't there and I'm just going to act as if Here's nothing's a wrong, right? Here's a question. Would you be able to talk about any of these things in front of anybody else other than me and Holly? Oh, yeah, I think it'd be a lot easier to talk in front of anyone but but my family. Okay. That that tells me then, because you weren't for a while. You, no, You didn't want to talk about any of that. No, I don't want to think about it, much less talk about it. All right. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, don't you think it's easier to talk about these things with someone who doesn't have any emotional tie to yeah. what's going on? Yeah. That's yeah. where, like, for us, at least having the therapist sometimes takes the emotion out of, or the sting out of it long enough for us to get, get to the logic, mm-hmm. you know? I think our brain, because most people don't realize, like, your brain is, like, <laughs> we'll say seven-eighths emotion and one-eighth logic like that's how it's designed your prefrontal cortex right up here the last developed part that's where logic is but it's not a big part of your brain the biggest parts of our brain 
are designed to hold memories and design, mm -hmm. it's like flight or flight systems, the lizard brain, if you will. Um, and so I believe, and hopefully we're getting to the point as a whole society that we're seeing like, in order for us to logically think about things, you have to give the emotional brain a space. It has to be safe or not like, yeah, crazy in order to access the best logic. Right, so in order to have the clarity to think properly and to not res or to not react, you kind of have to learn how to reverse engineer what's happening inside of your brain when you're reacting, and you can only do that with, sometimes. I believe with guidance. It's like uh, me as a strength coach here. You could be like a brain coach, you know, like Define somebody. Define guidance. Uh, well. You like having conversations to bounce things off of somebody, and then usually that allows you to reconcile the thought inside your head, right? That, having somebody else here so that when we're speaking and bouncing off somebody else, they can help us reconcile the thought so that we don't get overly emotional or stuck in the emotion, but then we can access the logic about it. That's what I mean. I wonder, should we watch these videos back together? Uh, most likely at some point. Okay. Uh, or, or, or maybe more the react style, i.e. we, we watch it live and watch it real time <laughs> where we react. That might not be a bad idea. To just watch it alone in a room with no guidance. Like the guidance would be the cameras and us watching it. And then I think what that's we, a really good idea. Like what we're thinking about real time. Yeah, maybe. You know, it'd be like somebody else watching our video and reacting to it and be like, Man, look at that John guy. He is clearly reactive here. And look at the pattern that he goes into when his mom says this. And, <laughs> you and know. people, not only us can learn, but other people can learn. Well, I'm learning that. I, Did you expect that? By starting to share more about my story, by telling the people here who... I think... When I started my business and I started working with people who wanted to get in shape and then eventually I started to find a, like a core group of them that were like John's people, I started opening up more about, well, you hang around people more often, usually, usually the conversation, like, it's not just superficial. So my clients started, oh, why did you start this business? Why did you get into this? And I told them the truth. Mm -hmm. And then they would tell me, we had no idea. We we just thought you were like this like superhero who had no problems or emotions. We didn't realize you went through all this stuff. Damn. Wow. That makes me like not feel alone with my stuff. And then they would start telling me stuff. But the results in the gym got better, like exponentially. Just I, by talking? Yes. Hmm. I've been fascinated with that ever since. Like for the last five or six years since I've really started to kind of peel back the layer and just share why I actually started this business, the reason behind it. And it's not just to, because I think everybody should be buff and have fucking muscles. I believe everybody should have personal responsibility and take care of themselves in some fashion. Not always strength training. Um, however, when they started asking me why, I had to start thinking about why did I actually do this? And it was like to build a place for me to rebuild myself. 
I had to process all of those emotions after Tony and Jimmy. I had to rebuild the, the crazy making brain I had. I removed myself big time from society. Remember for like two years, I didn't date anybody. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't do anything. It was get up in the morning, go to the gym for two or three hours, work out with those people, go to work, come home, get on the internet, uh, study, learn about the body, whatever. I did that year after year after year, right, right in those spaces before I moved out, mm -hmm. right after Tony. To That was my reconciling of things that you kind of stepped back to make sure that you were, am I crazy? Is this me? I did that after Tony mm -hmm. and building this business and then every day in this business. And now I have a business that I have all kinds of different kinds of people, uh, older, younger, uh, more academic, more artistic. And the common thread is like they all know and believe that working on their body is important. They just didn't know why they should do it or where they could do it. That wasn't like a normal place. Like the places that are like the gym, the bros, to just sweat and do stuff. And so my place stands out because, yes, I, I care about being physically strong. It actually, that's what gives me my freedom. Like I can go help you pick up a couch at your house if you needed assistance. And I can go get on the floor and crawl with Michael and Marshall and run circles around those little turds until they drop because I'm physically fit and able. And then I can think and do my work and, and be present with people. And so that's like what I've gotten out of it and why it's important. But I don't like want to push it on people or tell them they should do it. The idea is like I share why I did it and it, and it draws people in and closer. And then they're like, yeah, we understand why we should do it more now too. Which is fucking amazing to me. So I have a bunch of people who, mom, they're in their 40s learning how to exercise. You grew up in an era that didn't, one, for women, but two, for exercise. You were just, don't do that. It's not for you. Or even it wasn't. It wasn't even an option. It wasn't even an option. So now in the here and the now, I'm having people who have never done that. That shit is scary to learn. We're sitting here learning new stuff as adults. Oh, yeah, that's true. They're learning how to use their bodies as adults. So, so then they're already like in their heads about like, I feel stupid. I, how did I let myself get this far? And then they actually have to do the work and show up. And Oh, man, that's hard. I wanted to make it as easy as possible to do hard work. And I found the way to do that was to share my truth. When do you think... That kind of work should start in someone's life. When they're ready. What kind of work? Do you mean... Physical. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, should it begin in their youth? That's most likely if you get them younger and you show them the model of it, then, then you don't have to as an adult. Yeah. If you were... Usually. The president of everything. <laughs> okay. How would you... What would your... Uh, schooling look like for children? Let's say I was like the, the um, commander of the universe. Yes. Or he man of the universe. I would incentivize people through insurance. I'm learning that might be the model. I.e., if you can do 10 push-ups and a pull-up and 10 bodyweight squats, you get 30% yeah, off your insurance or some shit. 
But my question is, yeah. how do we teach our children from, from the beginning to incorporate that physical activity every day? We don't just we don't sit them in a classroom and say, stop eating, you're getting too porky, right? <laughs> Go out and run around the uh, gym 20 times or whatever. If their so, parents do it, they would. So that, but my question is, we have to get their parents to do it. Where do we start? Is it in elementary school? Do we take elementary school and say, half the day is book learning and, and knowledge, half the day is learning about how to be a human being, how to use your body to be healthy, how to express yourself in a healthy way, instead of punching Johnny in the face? Well, it looks like the, the health part of it is getting left to parents. It seems like schools want to teach math and right. science and not anything else other than that. Do you think they should be providing instruction for how to be human? I, I can't say I, I think the schools should be. I think we as a society need to build that into the fabric of our lives. How do we do that? We have the same way we, we built school into it and all the other things, like one brick at a time. So, so right now we have a bunch of people that are older that don't know how to exercise. You know, the best we can do with them is like make it simple and accessible for where they're at now. Yes. Right? Yes. That's what I'm attempting to do with this kind of place. Okay. Is, is literally make hard work easier. This is not doing heavy squats and fucking, you know, your presses and things like, like I don't even like doing it. I like how I feel after I'm done. I like, I like knowing that I could go to your house right now and pick up your couch if you needed me to. I like knowing that I could sling Mar M Marshall and Macklin over my shoulder and run around with them. Um, Macklin weighs 78 pounds. I like knowing that I could go right over to GA over there and go sprint with my body and use it in all the ways that a, a human body is designed to move. That, that feels like freedom to me. Okay. So that's why... That's so important and why I do that. And I, I want to like be a model for that. Mm -hmm. And then like as the model doing it myself, write down the things. Here's what I did. Is there anything on this list you don't want to do or you can't do? Let's get rid of that. What are you willing to do? And then is there anything else that I haven't mentioned that you'd be interested in? Let's figure out how to get there. It's having conversations like this with people to help them understand that why this is important or their parents are gonna start falling apart and then they're gonna realize I, I should have been doing this and do it all along. But to, to your question, the people that are older, they just gotta get on with it and we gotta figure out a way to make it easier for them. The people that are not here yet or brand new or coming soon, Let's hope that their environment supports healthy physical activity. And if not, let's teach them why that's important and how to do that. So it's, it's something that I believe society has to build. Doesn't that sound monumental? Yes. Really? Yeah. So I'm thinking worldwide, not just the United States. Oh, I, Where do we start with physical fitness for our kids? We really should start from day one. Do you ever look at some of the old books from the 60s and 70s and yes. see some of the standards that, like, you guys had it. We, we lost it. Like, it, 
some of those kids, we'll say from the 30s, 40s, 50s, that were like getting war, they were badass kids in high school, like making them do pull-ups and monkey bars. And yeah, we like I, I've seen some videos start to crop up on social media of what like a phys ed class looked like in mm -hmm. 12th grade. And it is not like it does now. What's it like now? I don't so know. The other, so now it's, you know what? I don't really know what it's like right now because I'm 20 years removed from it. Right. I believe, as I'm coming to understand, it is not. It is not necessarily requiring kids to actually be physical versus. This is just phys ed class, but if you don't want to like do jumping jacks, you know, maybe go sit in the corner and read your book. Are you kidding? Because it it gives some kids anxiety to be seen doing something physical in front of other kids, which is probably true. I can't like argue with the kid, like, but then like. This kid is now 15 and getting anxiety working out because they weren't shown at like three when it would have been really easy to just do it yourself and have them just do it and follow and then be like, yeah, this is what we do. It, yeah, it's harder now when you're older to do it. John, I wanted to die every time I had to run my porky little ass around the um, football field. Had to oh, do a for mile. fucking like, yeah. Oh. Remember the presidential? Yes. I, the hell that was? I don't remember what it was called. I was good for a lap and then I was... We had to do a mile. Yeah. Yeah. We did and then too. And you had to do your, your sit -ups sprints. And, and, oh, yeah. You mm -hmm. had to do, and you had to make a minimum. Sit and reach. For your um, partial federal funds. Yes. So, yes. Yeah, we had, we were outside. Were you outside? We did, we, yeah. In all weather? Uh, mostly all weather. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember we had to be outside in all weather for um, playground. Well, when Not it was just raining or when it was a light snow, we'd be at the, I remember going to the bus stop. Kids are getting picked up at their doors now. Oh, no. Look, we walked I, to school. <laughs> I see some evolutions. Like, there's also the, a kid walking down the side street that doesn't have a sidewalk that has the opportunity to get hit by a car. Yeah, like, let's pick up that kid. Right. Let's figure that out. Um, and I... Man, I don't know if it's that we got lucky, but, you know, when we were kids, you could say more to us, like, Get out of the house. Go out. Go do something. Oh, and yeah. we could be out most of the day and come back, and you'd be okay with that, and we'd be safe and come home, and no issues. I don't. This I don't know if this is that world anymore. You know, it's not. We know it's not. So Let's so not that's pretend. so that's different. You know. So we have to find an updated way. Mm -hmm. And and you know distance learning. It's since, totally becoming a thing. Yeah, since... Um, and I, I believe it's allowing more things to become more accessible to more people. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because some people are like, oh, this is stupid, this is whatever, but maybe that person at home that can't even, like, get off the fucking couch watching this video is like, yo, like... That's me, that's me. And they take a step towards something the next day. Awesome! Like, but it... We are able to go there where they're at. So... For physical fitness, we have to meet people where they're at. Even me as a coach in here, they're not me. I cannot expect them to be me or to want to do things no, like me. Can't. They're already busy in their lives. They already are stressed out. They already have kids or, or all their responsibilities. And then they're trying to add more stress in because that's what physical fitness is. It's controlled stress. Mm -hmm. And think about it this way why don't most people do physical fitness if we're already all under so much stress <laughs> where where are they getting the space to not be stressed they're not 
Yeah. So, so I think that's why I'm so ready to talk about stuff. Now, this is more my space to be, even though it's stressful sometimes in the moment, I feel a lot better after having these conversations. It's like the, when I was lifting and then I'd feel better afterwards. I still lift and I still feel better afterwards. And that's on a habit now. Like I don't have to think about working out. If I didn't work out, I would know. Yeah. My body would start telling me. Muscle memory. Do, mm, more just like the nervous system being okay. like, yo, you're not regulated. So it's become such a habit that my body pokes me and gives me pain if I don't work on it, which is a, a cool thing that it does. Work on it. I think that's the theme for today, work on it. Um, we're not looking for Olympic swimmers. Just one more step today than you took yesterday. Well, here's a good question. It's like, uh, what do you think is keeping people from working on it? What's the, why are they so oh, inactive or why are they so scared or... How is it that we know all of this information about exercise and health and wellness, and yet there's a stat, 84% of the world does not exercise. Think about that. So 16% of 8 billion people have a gym membership where they work out actively, which means 84% of 8 billion people maybe do nothing. Do you know what people point to as their their primary uh, roadblock? Have you ever heard from people? Well, yeah, there's patterns, usually time. They don't have enough time. Right, money. Money can be an obstacle. Okay. Um, and maybe it goes back to like, because most of society has been in survival mode and now we're, we're working to build a society that can thrive who had the time to think about taking care of yourself? For you, a long time, you didn't need it, it the time because it was part of your everyday world. Just survive, right? Yeah, I mean, everything was more, physical. More or more physical, yeah. yeah. So as machinery has taken over from physical capabilities, mm -hmm. and we're sitting, well, that was my generation, we sat. You guys everything were more we the, com did, the, the computer <laughs> stuff, yeah. It was even more, we didn't even have the computers until I was... In my 20s. I would say it's a man-made problem that, like, exercise is something humans weren't even intended to do. Right, because... That is good for us. <laughs> well, but it's because your life was physical. Right. You had to go get the firewood. You had to go get the eggs. You had to this. You had to, you had to need the bread. Yeah. Everything in life was physical. Mm -hmm. Remember I told you when my mother, um, when I was growing up, my mother was the queen of convenience foods? Yep. That's why she was the queen of convenience foods. When was she hard. was growing was up, hard. Right. she was born in 29. So she bypassed the, um, the crash, but she felt the ramifications from it growing up. She was a baby, but they were there. World War II was uh, very different. Even though the war never hit our shores, there was rationing. So you had to do without. My mother was the um, consummate recycler. Hmm. Mimi could find 55 uses for that piece of string over there. Mm -hmm. Seriously. I yeah. was always like... Yeah. And um, again, where the hell am I going with this? Oh, what's wrong with me today? You're tired. Physical manifestation of all the stress we've been going through. Probably. It does, what's literally. What's telling you about Mimi? It's trauma brain.
like are your thoughts are not oh, clear. Everything about her life. Yep. Was physical. So yeah. Um, when they made dinner, mm-hmm. they had to make the bread. They had to make the pasta. They <laughs> had to make the, right, right. right the gravy. Everything was made at home from scratch. There were products you could buy products, convenience products, but Nana didn't have the funds to buy the products. We had to do it at home. Hmm. You know, the little old Italian ladies would get together. They'd buy a hob. In the spring, they'd feed their hog all summer, all, all autumn. And around Thanksgiving time, now it's time to um, slay the, the, the hog. They would have it. The butcher would come by. They would kill the, the hog. And all the old ladies, again, they would process all the meat from that hog, and everybody took home their own portions. Mm-hmm. That's how you got fed. Yeah. And in order to eat, again, you had to make everything. It was physical. Mm-hmm. So my mother was like, what, green beans in a can? Hell yeah, sign me up. Of course. Frozen food? Oh, my God. You'd have thought it was Christmas all year long. And I used to, I used to be like, why the hell is she like this? But now I understand it's because she grew up having to make everything from scratch, and all of these things were wonderful. So my point here is it's in the understanding why somebody does what they do where I think we're going to find common ground. I believe everything comes back to the why. Yeah. Why so, we do it, why it is, why it exists. Why are we here today? Physical manifestation of pain. Are you, are you still happy to be here doing this? Are you getting a lot out of it? Yes, I am okay. happy to be here doing this. I am, it is, it is important to do for me. And... And I do. I'm not going to lie. The comments that we get, um, whether they're left on YouTube or the emails that I get or the text messages or on Facebook or even just when somebody pulls me aside and has been like, man, you guys are really going after some stuff that is hard for people to talk about. Us too. It's, it's, it is hard for us. And it's also like somebody's got to be the first ones. So why not us? You asked me why I did this. Because uh, I knew we had to talk, our family. Oh, why yeah, I but like, to but do like the you knew for 16 years we had to talk. Why in June did you come to me last year and be like, yo? I think because I was ready. But, but finally, was there like a aha or was there, it was just. No, it was a gradual, my, I don't know if my perception changed or that I just finally got sick of carrying all this around. I got to get rid of it. I think that was my impetus. As I was ready to start talking about it, like it'll be three years in September, like when the you know what tornado yes. hit here. Yes, that was when I had the the I am not okay thought. I literally had like a thought, like, no, dude, you're not okay. Stop telling everybody at your gym you are. And I actually shared the truth with them. I was ready to shut the gym down when that tornado I hit. Know, you I remember? You remember? Yes, I was here. I, I was ready to move on to the next thing without knowing what it was. Here it is. Yep. It manifested. It came. This is the next thing. And I, know, I knew then that there was something behind that that I was working towards. I want to I wanna make music out of all of this. So if there's any composers or producers or anybody in the music world that is listening, let's work together. But I want to make music out of all of this for people. That's the next level. So here's something that actually did help me. I was, I went to a meditative. Uh, it's called sound bath meditation. 
and it was a, I don't know, it was like 20, 30 people in a room and this woman facilitates and she has like these big bowls and she has like a xylophone and these lots of things that make sounds, but all the sounds have a reason for existing. It's like sending vibrations through your body. So all of us are just laying on our mats, we're breathing and we're taking in these sounds and these sounds are washing over our bodies. Big tones, small tones, shorter frequencies, longer frequencies. And here's what I can tell you. Going in, yeah, uh, it was like a couple days ago I went, I was like on the edge of my seat. Like if you're watching one of the X videos and you can see me on the edge of my seat twitching, when I walked out, I was like, I felt lighter. I was lighter, but I was not reactive even. Like I was just calm and clear with Jackie as we were walking home. And then, cause we had a conversation later that night and I even like was talking to her about some of the things that were manifesting for me here. And she was actually able to understand me, which means I'm getting more clear. Okay. So I know a big part of it is me being clear with the things that I'm saying, but what I'm getting at is so, so physical stuff helped me process things. Talking about it is helping me process things. That sound washing over me and the vibration is what's helping me kind of like manifest it and push it outside of me now. You know, it's funny you say that. Because I now remembered when I was a kid growing up, going down the shore. Some of my best times were just laying on the beach. The seagulls, the ocean, the uh, wind. Jackie and I were just in St. Thomas yeah. and the Caribbean Ocean. Mom, you know me in the ocean, right? Like the beach is like my nemesis. Mm -hmm. I went in the ocean. You can see the bottom. One, I can see the bottom, but two, it's warm, it's nice. It's beautiful. And I'm not a fat little kid being made fun of for having fat thighs and, you know, being 200 pounds at 12 years old. <laughs> Someday I'll tell you about the time my mother made us bathing suits. Well. It wasn't good. Some other time, yeah. Yes, it but wasn't yeah, good. That, um, but the beach is, to me, rejuvenating. So I, that is something that I believe, knowing that is yeah. huge. Yeah. Applying that even more huge. It's always been that way for me, though. Like when, was the last time you, when was the last time you were at the beach? 2015. For what? I went down over the weekend that Tony died. I wanted to be with Tony. Oh, uh, you went to the Wildwood one time, I think I remember right. Yeah, with yeah. the Wildwood Crest. Yep. I was there for what four days, I think. Yeah. I wanted to be down there with Tony. I wanted I, I wanted to test my memory on things that had happened when I was a kid because I don't have anyone to bounce it off of. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know what? Let me put myself back in these places physically. Mm -hmm. And we'll get more into that as we go on. But putting myself in the places where a lot of these things happened in my family. That meant I had to get used to walking down the street past my house where I grew up. I avoided that part of town for almost 30 years. So part of what I'm doing is putting myself physically back where these things happened. Yeah. And just, just being there. But see how it's, you're physically putting yourself mm -hmm, back? Mm -hmm. So physical manifestation, yep. you're now ready to start unwinding and understanding but and i've been doing that since 2015 it was painful for a long time it was the first time i did it it took me six months and i only drove by by the way my yeah. house yeah i drove past six months before i could do it again yeah but i knew i had to face all of those things mm -hmm. before i could ever talk about these things i wanted to talk about them yeah 
And every time I thought about it, I'm sitting in my living room crying like an idiot. Because I can't, I can't talk about it. How the hell can I talk about it if I can't even get past the tears? This is huge for me. To be able to sit here and talk about it, it wasn't just working out that got me here. I, I, I did a, a plant medicine trip. I took ayahuasca. Oh, right. Some people know what that means. Some don't. If you're not sure what that is, just drop a comment below, and I'm happy to explain what ayahuasca is. It's a psychedelic plant medicine. And I also was, did some psilocybin mushroom trips. Uh, long story short, using medicine to open up pathways in my brain that I didn't know existed in order to see things differently than I thought they were. Okay. How about that? That was pretty clear right there. So, my generation had LSD. Yeah, it's... <laughs> well, LSD got shut down by Timothy Leary, and they haven't been studying psychedelics for 50 years because there were some people that went loud and proud, and then the government was like, we can't control this, we don't know what to do with this, shut it down, get rid of it. And unfortunately, a lot of people got hurt in that process, i.e., this could have been something that their research now is starting to really show. It's, it's not a panacea and not for everybody. It's something that might be beneficial to you to allow a person to walk through and really long-term um, uh, other technique avoidant depression so like this is like point z like one of the last things you do um, not the first i believe so and medicine allowed me to access the talk because i think it allowed me to feel something Okay. Uh, I think when I told you the first trip that I took, when I did the ayahuasca, I literally sat there and laughed for four hours. <laughs> like my visual is just looking up at this tree while I was on the ground rolling around. Like, I don't know, I must have looked like a lunatic, but I didn't care. I couldn't, all I could remember feeling was like good and funny and happy. And like, I got to just laugh again. And I believe it was kind of like a this is what it feels like to be a little kid. <laughs> okay. Start here. And so I've been working back towards that feeling. You know? And uh, No, I don't know, actually. Oh, oh, okay, actually. But sorry, then... Um, I don't know what being a little kid feels like. I don't really either. I'm just rediscovering it. So you're, apparently you laugh a lot, and sometimes you poop your pants, and sometimes... Um, you want your mommy. You want your mom. Yeah. You do. Everybody wants their mom sometimes, don't they? That's the safe space. But not everybody has a mom. Correct. No, everybody does not. Okay, we'll be the moms. And we can be... Or... I'll a, be the mom. A part of their environment that allows them to feel like they have somebody who's mom-like. For sure. I think that's important. Agreed. I think in a lot of ways, I'm like the strength dad here. Like, I'm, come on, let's get our muscles. Let's get after it. Let's, you know, make sure we're doing our squats. Here's why they're important. So you're kettlebell, kettlebell daddy. Uh, strength dad, not just kettlebells. Okay. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to get out today? Oh, I have a question. Here's one for you. Okay. Let's, let's end it this way. I think this is pretty cool. Let's leave a question. So anybody who might watch this, leave them a question that you think they should answer. In terms of what we talked about today? Yeah, in terms of what we talked about today. 
Ask well, the question. question yeah. The obvious question is, do you feel as if you're having physical effects of the stress that you've been under, if you've been dealing with a situation like this? Or are you like me when I thought, oh, I dodged the bullet, that I'm not having any physical manifestations of the stress that I've been under until the stress ended for a period of time mm -hmm. and all hell broke loose. Yeah. So it's time now to think about it and do something about it. We all have to deal with these issues in our lives. And, and when we don't, we have this. It's, I mean, it's bad in the moment, Let, let's be honest. And let's address the fact that the past few videos have been very, very difficult. Um, in the moment, I do feel like I just want to get up and leave sometimes. I understand. I do too. And we're not doing that. We're That's sitting. huge for our family. If we're able to do this, we want to help you get to the point where you excavate everything that's holding you back, right? And we have to do it as a family. That, that's part of the problem here. I think we all try to do individual work. Or maybe that's why families get sidetracked is people are working as a collection of individuals mm -hmm. and, and not a family unit. And, and if we don't deal with the issues as a family unit because everything affected all of us, whether yep. we, we agree with that or not, if we don't deal with it that way, we're just going to have another generation doing the same things. Yeah. And I've seen it from my sister's children. Um, they're very much like my sisters in the way we were raised. And it's scary. Well, on that note, everybody... We have a directive today. If you heard that question and you would like to entertain that, please leave a comment below or send an email to us. But let's take action today. I believe that is what mm -hmm. needs to happen out of today. We sit here, we talk, we think a lot, we're pondering, we are speculating. Our action is sitting here today and taking the gloves off for you. What is your action going to be after you have watched this video? Please respond to that, and we'll talk soon. Be well. Thank you for listening to our show. If you're interested in how we've gotten this far, I've put together a small guide that has a three-step process at no cost. You can get that at www dot I am not okay dot com backslash truth www dot I a m n o t o k dot com backslash t r u t h thank you so much look forward to seeing you on the inside be well